Good morning, Middle. Our invitation to worship today is a poem by Langston Hughes. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? Or crust and sugar over like syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load, or does it explode? Let us dream God's dream as we worship God. I want you to take a look at the lyrics. I want you to read them carefully, and then just put them down. You don't need them. The spirit will guide you. It says.
It's now time for our message for all ages. So I'm welcoming all children and youth and children of all ages to come on stage. Oh, we have the little kitties coming up. Come on, come on, kitties. Yes, come on. And my little daughters, hi. So today, we are celebrating ways that we can show kindness in community. We know that God loves us all, so we have to show love to everyone else, right? But sometimes people are not always kind. Are there any times you've ever felt left out? Any time? Like, it, oh, tell me. You want to tell me? Okay. Tell me a time. Was it at school, at the park? What happened? School at the park. Oh, both times. It can happen in different places. Anybody else? How did it make you feel? How did it make you feel? Sad. Sad, aw. Sometimes it makes us sad. So what can we do to make sure that we don't let anyone else feel left out when we're at school or at church or at the park? What can we do? What can we do? Can we invite them over to play with us? Oh, let me hear. You could play with other people and don't get them left out. That's yeah. right, woo, yes. We can invite, if you see someone, and I tell my kids this all the time, if you see someone, oh, another answer. Um, you can play with toys or share them. Share your toys, yes, I think the lesson's over. I think we, I, oh, we have one more. Share anything with anybody. Share with everybody. So sharing, yes, great job, girls. Anybody? Yes, one more. Play, play with everybody in the whole world. Yes, oh, lesson's over, yes. So thank you guys, yes. Make sure we play with people, especially if we see someone off to the side by themselves. Share our toys. We are called by, children, by God, as children of God, to love our neighbors, and that's how we're gonna show neighbors. So this week we're gonna practice going out and being kind and showing love to our neighbors. So let's stand and pray. Alright. So you're gonna repeat after me. Dear God, Dear God let, us be the light let us be the light and the love in the world. Let us show kindness in community every day. Every day. Amen. Amen. And now let's sing Siyamba as we go back and continue to worship. All right. Morning, middle family. Morning. I say good morning, middle family. Good How you doing? Pretty good, right? We're alive, we're well. It's not freezing, freezing outside, right? And we're here together, yeah? 
Thank you so much for coming today. I'm so glad you're here. Um, my name is Jackie Lewis. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the senior minister here, and our whole family is glad you came today. If you're visiting for the first time, would you please raise your hand and keep it raised so we can have a chance to greet you. I'm going to start over here and you're going to shout out where you're from, but keep your hands up. We're about to see who's going to preach, so keep your hands <laughs> up. Keep your hands up. Where are you from? West Michigan. Yay, West Michigan in the house. Woo. Where are you from? Detroit. Detroit in the house. Woo. Where are you from? France. France. Bienvenue. We're so glad you're here. Where are you from? East Harlem. East Harlem. Yeah. Where are you from? Los Angeles, welcome. Where are you from? Yonkers. Yonkers, yes. Where? Boston, yes. Where from? Massachusetts. Ithaca. Ithaca. Sir. Birmingham. Birmingham, Alabama. Where are you from? Washington Heights. Yay, Washington Heights came all the way to southern New York this morning. Where are you from? Washington Heights. Nebraska. I was born in Omaha. Let's talk later. Oh, no. Where are you from? Oh, East 10th Street. You're my neighbor. Where are you from? Delaware. And then? Brooklyn. Hi, I missed you. So good to see you. Thank you. Welcome. Yes, ma'am. Oh, right then. In Mokali, Florida. Woo! Did I miss anybody? Yes. East 4th Street. Thank you for making your way all the way. I'm glad you came today. Thank you. Astoria. Hartford. Wow. Where from? Forest Hills. In the balcony. Jersey. You know, that we name where we're from reminds us that our community is outside of these brick walls. I'm so glad you're here. And you know, there's some other people who are outside of the brick walls online. Yo, hello. Hi. We're so glad you're here. We've got some special friends here today from Grand Rapids, um, here to do some conversations with me and John. Where y'all at? Sh show me. Okay, there we go. All right. We said it. We're from Michigan. Hello, you missed it. I'm glad you're here. Okay, lots of things happening. Lots of things happening. Um, there is, today we're doing our third of our fourth 1619 commemoration of 400 years of Africans here in America. Um, today, and the next one is December 1, and of course, all the way through time, we're always celebrating the power and beauty of black folks' religion, but it's a special thing today. We have soul food today. Please eat the soul food. There is chicken and macaroni and cheese and greens and all kinds of goodies back here. Between this, there's a social hall back there, and we want to invite everybody to come, special friends, everybody, grab a plate and go to your classroom or just sit in fellowship with each other. Will you do that for me? Please don't let there be leftover chicken because I will take it home and bad things will happen. And so it's really helpful if you do that for me. You're going to see things to do up here and we want to make sure that you'll do that. New member gatherings, classes to take, our 14th annual conference, Revolutionary Love Toward a More Perfect Union is April 2020 and we hope that you'll go online and register and come and be with us as we try to heal the world with love. Be so good to have you. Um, I can say more, but let me say this, that some of you have heard the announcement that our beloved Christina Fleming 
is going to uh, go be with her dad, uh, Reverend George Fleming, and her mom in Michigan. Uh, he's been living inside a miracle, um, living with cancer for like five and a half years. And his body is, is getting different, changing, not as well. So Christina is sad about going, and we are horribly sad about her going. But she's going to go take care of her dad and her mom. And we don't know when she'll be back, but she, we know she'll be back. She and Neil will be back. We love them. And we just want to say to you, Christina, uh, though you asked for no cake, we got you one. <laughs> so there's a cake to celebrate Christina, and you should give her lots of hugs and love and prayer. And I think we just want to, she's going to pray for us, but let's just give her a blessing right now. Can we do that? Everybody just raise your hands up and give Christina a blessing. God, 12 years ago, you sent this beautiful human being into our midst. Um, with the faith of a giant, the heart of a revolutionary lover, communication skills of an expert. And we are different because she's here. We are different because she's sojourned with us. She's raised our profile. She's raised our mysticism. She's raised our spirituality. She's grown our youth ministry, our young adult ministry. She is fire and light. And we just thank you that you let us have her. We pray for Christina and her dad and her mom and her sister and her whole family that as they encircle him with love, you will encircle them with love, God. And we know you're able to do more than we can ask or imagine through your power at work within us. So we pray healing and grace. In Jesus' name and by all the names you are known, each of them holy. Amen. Amen. family, you know me well. You know me really well. And you know I love to pray. And so um, I hope today, and I hope every day, you give yourself the gift of prayer, or you can cry when you want to cry. And you can see one another into the very soul of who you are when you pray for each other. And I thank you for seeing me into the very soul of who I am. So I can go and be with my beautiful, beautiful father and mother in this circle of life where we honor death and we honor life and we honor the sacredness of it all. Please take a deep breath with me and exhale. Take another one. Deep breath and exhale. God, on our hearts there is something weighing for some, it might be the health of a father. For others, it is fill in the blank. And you say in today's scripture, do not fear. So we visibly, in this moment of silence, we take what is most in our core, what we might have a bit of anxiety about, and we visibly put that in your hands right now. And we visualize you just 
holding our anxiety. You say in this scripture three times, take courage, take courage, take courage. You know, we are a people that have had some destruction to our temples, destruction to the people and to what matters to us. And so we come to you with broken hearts and open hearts. We come to you wanting to be free to lament and to cry out, this is so messed up. Not only what sometimes, all right, I'm just gonna be real. We, um, we are all holding things that we don't talk about, that are deep pains. And so we ask that you hold those places that feel broken and we name the epidemic racism in our country and the daily conversations that inflict it. And we pray that you encircle the family of Tatiana Jefferson in Texas, a black woman who was fatally shot by Fort Worth police in her home while she played video games with her nephew. Comfort her family as her father, Marcus Jefferson, passed away yesterday from a heart attack. God, you, you know and you see that we are enraged about this 400 years since the first Africans were kidnapped and terrorized into slavery. We're enraged about the generational effects of the violence of slavery that ripple and continue to break our hearts and our souls. You speak in today's text about restoring Jerusalem and that no matter what we are facing, you will abide in our souls. So there is no place we can go where you do not go. And you keep repeating to us again and again, take courage, take courage, take courage, even though I know, baby, you got fear. And we remember the wisdom of Mama Ruby Sales, who we have the blessing to mentor us here in this place. And she says the genius, the spiritual genius of black folk religion is that she said when slaves could not control what happened to their very own bodies, they could control their inner lives. That form of spiritual discipline gives us pause and invitation to day and every day. God guide our inner lives so that we take courage and we root ourselves in who you are when nothing else looks like you. So we come today standing on the shoulders of our ancestors with our ancestors at our back and our right, and we know that just as Jackie put her hands in my hands, that you're putting your hands in everyone's hands today. You're taking them by hand and holding them as they seek to create new temples where there's truth-telling and honesty, vulnerability and love, and where they know every day you abide in the center of their being. In your many names, we give you thanks because you create miracles, and we get to show up for them when we say yes. Amen. Amen. Oh, pray together. So if you just join the hand of someone next to you, if you're not, don't want to touch anyone, put your hand in your pocket. 
Um, and we are going to say together the Lord's Prayer, which is printed in ex uh, inclusive version in your Bolton. But if you want to say it in Spanish or the version you grew up in, please feel free. Ever loving and holy God, hallowed be your name. Your reign come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the peace and the love of God that dwells in each of you to everyone you are about to greet. Peace of God be with you.
still love that passing of the peace, don't we guys? The word of God today comes from a minor prophet named Haggai. How many of you have read the book of Haggai? I'm very impressed with that. I skimmed the book of Haggai in the past, but I read it to get ready for the sermon. It's the shortest, second shortest book in the Bible, two chapters. Uh, but Haggai is a minor prophet. We call those 12 the minor prophets, writing around the same time as Zechariah and Jeremiah, writing uh, right after the Babylonian captivity when the people are freed and are kind of coming home. So listen now for God's word in this little known book, Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people in the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise I made you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you, do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once again in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, please. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And in these days, we need to hear a word from you, a word for each of us, a word to comfort us, to encourage us, to lead us. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I may tell you a little bit more about Haggai than you want to know, but I'm going to tell you some stuff about Haggai. <laughs> it is 586 before the Christian era, and the Babylonians have conquered the kingdom of Judah. They have raised the city of Jerusalem. They have burned the temple, and they have taken the governmental, military, and economic elites 
into exile in Babylon. The Babylonian exiles were granted a large measure of freedom and began to build new lives. You might recall Jeremiah said, marry them, you know, plant here, marry here, be here, and make a new life here. So after about 50 years, Persia, then under the powerful leadership of King Cyrus, became the dominant leader in the Near East. The Persians conquered the Babylonians and began a program of repatriation, sending the generation after the exiles back home to Judah. Cyrus was smart, and he knew the best way to keep his newly repatriated subjects in line, even to win their support, was to help them rebuild their lives and their institutions. So he told them to rebuild the Jerusalem temple and even gave them some money to do it. He gave them reparations, my family. And the rebuilding project started off pretty well. They were excited. They put the foundation down. They got ready to build the temple. But it didn't take long before the people began to lose courage. In 522, Darius became the king. He sent the grandson of Judah's last king, a guy named Zerubbabel, you heard all those beautiful names, to jumpstart the project. By the time Haggai comes along in 520, the temple is a little more than an outline foundation. That's all they've done, maybe a couple of layers of stone. Haggai and Zechariah are both credited with reinvigorating the rebuilding project. So over the course of about two months, the prophet's been listening to the grumbling, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. What are they complaining about? Well, the temple is not going to be as big as the other one. It's not going to be as shiny as the other one. It's not going to be as fabulous as the other one. Where's the gold? Where's the, where's the marble? What, what, what's with this peeny, teeny, not-so-shiny temple that we're about to make? Um, in the book of Ezra, a lot more appeals about this, and so we can read their grumbling and moaning in more detail. Not that we ever grumble and moan, but we'll just, we'll just read theirs. So... God says through Haggai, I'm going to give you all the things you need to build the temple. The gold is mine, the silver is mine, all the stuff is mine. Gospel choir saying, all the stuff belongs to me. And I just want you to go do it. So they, again, they start and they stop and they start and they stop. And what begins to happen is that these people start focusing on their own house instead of the house of God. They focus on their own private world as opposed to rebuilding the house of God. There's a sense of warning in Haggai. You focus on, on your stuff instead of my stuff. Things aren't going to go as well for you. But still, I think they're being human. I mean, I, I don't want to be their psychologist, but I'll try to be their psychologist. Imagine that you've been the best of you, the brightest of you, the smartest of you, the most accomplished of you. Your people have been snatched off the land and taken to a strange place. Imagine that you've lost your identity, you've lost your way, you've lost your stuff. So what are you feeling? You're feeling anxious. You're feeling angry. You're feeling grief. And grieving sometimes causes us to be paralyzed. And we just really don't know what to do next. Y'all feeling me? And sometimes grieving makes us turn inward. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm going to take care of my stuff. I'm going to make sure that my house has got fresh water in case the drought comes. 
I'm going to make sure there's canned goods in the basement. You're feeling me? I'm going to make sure that I've got some money under the mattress. Hello? Because the banks are going to fail and the electronics are going to go away, right? That sense of, of having been through a time of doom makes impending doom feel like a real possibility. And I think that's the people of God. I think that's the people of God then. I think that's the people of God throughout time. I think for many people of God, distress, stress, sorrow, grief makes us turn in, circle our wagons, and just stick with our own kind. Does that make sense? So it was with these folks, anyway. And so it seems to be with the people who are our founding parents. I'm going to call them founding fathers because they were just men. They sort of left Europe to come to found America, not discover America, but through the doctrine of discovery to come found America. And they came, I'm going to say, as people feeling oppressed. I, I don't know why they felt so oppressed with their landowning selves. But the king was the king, and they didn't want to pay taxes, and right, da 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 And so they, here they come, here they come looking for freedom, is what I'm trying to say. Here they come looking for freedom. Never mind that there were people already here. Here they come looking for freedom. And what did they do? Because they came looking for freedom, they wanted to build their own house. Not God's house, but their own house. And so it was that when Thomas Jefferson was ready to build Monticello, he built it by using 150 enslaved Africans as collateral at the bank. I say 150 human beings leveraged so he could build his big old mansion. People could be sold in those times much more easier than land, and in multiple southern states, more than eight and ten mortgage-secured loans so people could build their houses were built with enslaved people as collateral. In 1836, in Mississippi, money was exchanged hands so many times, three times, four times, eight times, to make sure that planters could keep planting cotton with enslaved Africans as labor, with enslaved Africans' bodies as leverage for buying the cotton seed. Are you feeling me, my friends? Global financial markets got in the action. When Thomas Jefferson mortgaged his enslaved workers, it was a Dutch firm that put up the money. In the Louisiana Purchase, um, which opened millions of acres to cotton production, that was financed by a British bank. Some people like to think when the slave trade was ended by, by Great Britain, that it was because people had come to good conscience and decided to not traffic in human life. But what is likely more true is that people washed their hands of owning slaves, but continued to profit from the slave trade because European markets gave them the money. And, you know, I'd like to say this is a southern problem. My family, mi gente, but it is not. Desperate for hands to build towns, 
Dutch settlers in New Netherland availed themselves of slave labor and the labor of Native American people. Founded in 1625, what would become the city of New York, our city, New Amsterdam, the Dutch West Indies Company, our people, the people who built this church, imported 11 African men in 1826 to do the building. The Dutch West India Company owned these men and their families, directing their labors to common enterprises like land clearing and road construction. 40% of New York households held enslaved people in the early 1700s. New Amsterdam and New York's enslaved put much of the local infrastructure right here in the East Village in place, including the Broadway, including the Bowery, Governor's Island, and the first buildings and the first churches, the first church, the first Dutch Reformed church built in 1628, built by enslaved Africans with money leveraged by enslaved bodies. I think we owe some reparations, my family. I think we owe some reparations. In 1711, New York City officials decreed that all Negro and Indian slaves that are let out to hire would be hired at the market house at the Wall Street Slip. Do you know what was at the Wall Street Slip? At Bowling Green? The First Collegiate Church. We gather in this sanctuary on Lenape land. We gather in land acquired in a so-called deal cut by a man named Peter, I just lost his last name. Thank you, thank you, thank you everybody. Shout it. Yes, who got the land for about $27 from the Lenape people. The people who lived on this land, who were not discovered on this land, who lived and thrived on this land, who called North America Turtle Island, we took it and we built on it and we profit from it. Now, on November 27, 2009, on Native American Heritage Day, the day after Thanksgiving, the Collegiate Church, the Dutch Reformed Church, made an apology to the Lenape. An apology to the Lenape. In a ceremony right down there at Bowling Green, they remembered Peter Stuyvesant, they remembered Peter Minuet, they remembered the deal, and exchanged wampum with the Indians and said, quote, we consumed your resources, dehumanized your people, and disregarded your culture. We express sorrow for our part in these actions. One of the Lenape elders, Carmen Makasato Ketcher, said, yes, we forgive you, but don't forget we're alive and well. We made an apology to the indigenous people. The collegiate church has not made an apology to African-Americans. I'm talking reparations, my family. I think we're owed some reparations. We have not made an expression of remorse to African people. In fact, a slaveholder's picture hangs outside of Amanda's office upstairs. 
we're going to have to do something about that. We're going to have to take him down. We're going to have to take him down. And we're going to have to do some digging in our history. Like, we have to know what we know so we can fix what we can fix. We're going to have to dig into the role of the collegiate church and what role we played in the enslavement of Africans in the profiting on the back of Africans. The Dutch Reformed Church made a lot of money in the slave trade. And when we get to the bottom of it, we're going to have to do something about it. We're just going to have to do something about it. But in the meantime, Middle Church family, this part of the Collegiate Church, Middle Collegiate Church, will continue our ministries that are intended to repair the horrific damage done to indigenous people and American people on this land, African Americans on this land. Amen? Gordon Drott and the consistory hired a black woman to lead this church on purpose. Jerese Johnson started the gospel choir in this church on purpose so the sounds of blackness would ring through our sanctuary. Fifteen years ago, we vowed not just to be a happy, well-adjusted little multi-ethnic church that gave each other air kisses on Sunday morning. We vowed to be an anti-racist church on purpose. We vowed to listen to God's word in Haggai to rebuild the temple, and we understood that that temple is about rebuilding bodies. Because the latter prophets say, when we finish doing the work God has called us to do, when we've done the work of building the temple, God will reside in every life, in every body, in every soul. So we keep on working till all lives matter because all lives matter when black lives matter. Amen? We joined the Black Lives Matter movement on purpose. Despite criticism from some of our beloved in the pews, we got involved in Black Lives Matter and we stay involved in Black Lives Matter. We created a racial healing task force so we could learn about our racism together in a multiracial community and think about what we're going to do about it. And now that racial healing task force has led to a group on voters reform that just went to Virginia and did amazing work. Somebody say amen. Amazing work. And we're going to see some slides of their work and hear from Kelly in just a moment about the work they've done. We also did a reparations task force meeting uh, for four weeks this year. I don't know if all of you know that, but we are digging into this work so that our children will live a life different than the lives we've lived so far. Amen. Every year for 14 years, we host a conference to teach leaders how to grow multiracial communities that will be anti-racist in their work and mission. We go to the border on purpose. We go to Puerto Rico on purpose. We do service learning trips on purpose. The Virginia work is on purpose. We work on economic justice and a living wage with our Immokalee family on purpose. We do LGBTI justice work on purpose, gender justice work on purpose, prison reform work on purpose. We're working to close Rikers on purpose. We send me around the country to talk to nice white people every week on purpose. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Yesterday, I was talking to some nice white people in North Carolina. 
It was really special. I mean, 350 people in the room, one person from Hawaii, and one Latinx, and me. Adding a little chocolate flavor to the room. They asked me to come because they think I'm going to tell them what to do. So one woman said to me, what do we want to do, Jackie? What do we need to do? I'm telling you what I told her, so I don't have to repeat it. I'm telling you, I told her, everybody has to do something. Nobody gets to be a bystander. The resistance is not a passive project. Everybody has to work to dismantle white supremacy in the United States of America and around the globe. I told her, you can do something when you're sitting at the table with your family at Thanksgiving and they do that thing they're gonna do where they go, you know, I don't know why they're still talking about racism. Things are so much better. Look at Kanye West, look at Oprah Winfrey. We've got black billionaires. <laughs> yeah, when they say that, you have to say, yeah, well, but still, the median income of a black family of four in this country versus the median income of a white family of four in this country is that the white family has 13 and a half times more wealth. Not 13%, no, 13 and a half times more wealth. I said, you're gonna have to tell short stories. Statistics are short stories. You're gonna have to say that a white man with a high school education can get out and make more money on average than a black man with a college degree. You're gonna to have to tell the truth, I told her. You're gonna to have to know the truth, read the truth, and tell the truth. And, I, and she said, but that, that could be hard, it could be, it could be difficult. Yes, it can be. But when someone is saying they and all the things that they are gonna say, you also can say, that's not my experience. I know lots of I know lots of people who are not lazy, or <laughs> that's not my experience. A lot of my queer people, my queer friends are normal as I am. You know, disrupt the story. Do not let the lie stand in the room without saying anything. That's what I told her. And then she found me after the talk and she said, Jackie, thank you so much. That was so very helpful. Thank you so much. I thought you were gonna tell me I had to give all my money away. I said, honey, that's part two, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I'm coming for the money. The prophet Haggai said, God wants you to build God's house first. God wants you to fill God's temple first. God wants you to build the place where the glory of God will reside first and then take care of your own business. Now, one way to do this sermon is to say, God, let's build, this, let's build the church. I'm saying let's build God's temple that is the world. I'm saying let's build God's temple that is America. I'm saying let's build God's temple, which is every street corner, every byway and highway, because the latter prophets say when we've done our work, God will be everywhere. We won't need sanctuaries. We won't need temples and mosques and synagogues because God's glory will reside in the hearts of all the people. That's what the prophets say. When we've done our work, we won't even need street lights because God's glory will shine its way through the darkness and each of us will feel safe and healed and whole and everybody will have enough. This is our work, my people. And yeah, 
I need you in this movement. We need bodies to go to Puerto Rico. We need bodies to go to, to work on rebuilding that place. We need to go to the border. We need bodies to go to the border. We need people to volunteer and sing in the choir. We need people to feed people, to hold people, to love people, to shepherd people. And we need your investment, your prayers, your vision, your imagination, and your offering. We need to do this together. It's not my job. It's not Amanda's job. It's our job. It's our job. It's your job and my job to make racism something we used to talk about so that our children can grow up in a safe world where everybody's life matters because we've killed anti-black racism. We've nipped it in the bud. I'm counting on you. I'm calling you. I'm asking you to be in this movement with me. I can't be the only black girl out there talking to the white people. I need the white people to talk to the white people. Look at me, white people. If you need something to say, I'll write you a script. And I need all of us to have zero tolerance for bigotry. Zero tolerance. That's all I've got. I love you. Join me. Hi, all. I told myself I was going to cry, but I'm not sure what you're supposed to do when you start out crying before you get up there. So, uh, My name's Kelly. I am a deacon here at Middle. I've been a member for over 20 years, and I'm a member of the Voters Reform team here at Middle. Sorry. So I want to talk to you about why I'm here and why I raised my son here and why I've been here so long. Middle church fuels my activism. It fuels my fight for justice. Perhaps there's some of you that, like me, grew up in a faith tradition that really didn't equate resistance with Christianity, that didn't really equate even the fight for justice with the practice of your faith. That was something that you kind of did out there and you didn't talk about in church. But for me, there is no greater expression of my faith than to resist the systems that oppress, oppress our people and to fight for justice and quality and inclusion for all. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went to Nazareth, his hometown. He went into the synagogue. He pulled out the book of Isaiah, and he, and he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I love the way the text says it because then it says he finished by saying, he closed the book, he finished by saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Kind of a mic drop moment as I see it. At Middle, we recognize that if we are going to truly walk in faith, we must stand with our immigrant brothers and sisters, both here in the city as they go to court, as they face discrimination, and at the border. We must fight the system that oppresses them and dehumanizes them, and we must scream both in public and at the ballot box that this is not right. We, we must travel to places like Virginia, where voting rights have long been suppressed by racialized gerrymandering and by oppressive voter ID laws. And if you have any questions on why voter ID is voter suppression, please talk to me. You know, I'm going to just share something, and sorry, I'm going to go off script for just one second. When I was standing in the polls in Virginia, at the very end of a very long day, a woman came in with her son, and he was um, developmentally delayed, and she rushed in to vote. And I followed her in because this was a very conservative, very white district, and I just wanted to make sure there was no issues with her being questioned or questioning ID. And I heard a little commotion. And one of the poll workers came out and said, we have a problem. And I sort of channeled my inner Jackie and I got ready for a fight. And I was going to defend her right to vote. And she was sobbing. She was heaving. And she had lost her mother just hours before. And she had come to vote. And she started to literally physically collapse. And I thought, my God. Voting is so important. And she chose to be here in this moment of just utter personal pain and sacrifice. We must organize, educate with the, in, with the Poor People's Campaign and protest the systems that uphold poverty, racism, the criminalization of black and brown communities and ecological devastation. We must help rebuild Puerto Rico. We must resist those who would say we should just be silent. Martin Luther King said, any religion that professes to be concerned about the souls of men and is not concerned about the slums that damn them the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them, is a spiritually moribund religion awaiting burial. We're not going to be buried at middle. We're not going to be silent at middle. And while all of these activities that we're doing and things that you see on the screen require passion and for us to be active.
They also require money. They require support. And sometimes that means getting out of our own comfort zones when it comes to giving. Please consider becoming a reoccurring donor. I did it, it's easy, and it took me a while to do it, but I did it, and it's super easy. If you would like to become a member, please see Chad after the service. Consider joining us in this movement. We need all of you. Thanks for listening. Before the Gospel Choir delivers their, uh, their selection, I won't be before you long. I know what pastors say. <laughs> um, we have a really special person uh, who's going to be going back to Japan. She's been with us for a number of years, and I just wanted to recognize Momo for all of her amazing work. So if you see her after service, give her a hug and a prayer. Oh, and some chicken, yes.
everything. As we seek to do your heart and your dream with everything, guide every step in reparations, in healing, in truth-telling, and in love. We thank you for these resources, and may they truly be yours. Amen. And if you'll see the closing hymn, we're going to do verse 1, straight into verse 2, and then the rest as it's listed.
Hang with me for just a second while I thank the choir, gospel choir, for all the volunteer hours, all the ways you show up. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank the band for all of their amazing. staff, raise your hand. Just raise your hand. What a beautiful team we have. What a beautiful team. What a beautiful team. All the elders and deacons, raise your hand. Did it, doing it now, doing it then, raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. All the saints of God, raise your hand. Yeah. All the revolutionaries, raise your hand. That's what I'm talking about. All the people who know they are the reparation, raise your hand. That's right. We can do this. We have every gift we need to do what God is calling us to do. We've got faith. We've got stick to We've got a holy imagination that allows us to see what are the possibilities. We have a beautiful sense of critique because we know we ain't doing right yet. And most importantly, we have the promise of God that God will build the temple on earth, the heaven on earth, the reign of God on earth, and every single body will matter. No matter who we love, no matter how we look, no matter how we love the people we love, no matter how we make a living, God is here, God is here, God is here, God is there. And it's our job to remind people of all of the goodness that we can do together. So I'm deputizing you, every single one of you, lay hands on your neighbor appropriately. <laughs> Don't touch them in any weird way, not on my watch. You are the ones we've been waiting for to heal the world. Go get it, we can do it, amen. <laughs>